0: Uh, everybody, uh, to Podchat Live episode number 87. And the topic of discussion uh, this evening is vitamin D. Uh, and we're going to try and be as specific as we can to the foot and ankle, given that we are, pro- most of us are podiatrists. Uh, and we're really happy to welcome our uh, our guest this evening, Dr. Farah Jawad, uh, who is a sports and exercise medicine consultant, a colleague of mine at Pure Sports Medicine in London. Um, and we've asked her to come on because she did her research. Um, one of her postgraduate uh, qualifications in seasonal variation, in vitamin D, in ballet dancers, which we think is pretty pertinent to the the foot and ankle. So Farah, thank you so much uh, for joining us. And uh, maybe we will just kick off if if it's okay with you, if you could just give us a really brief summary of of your research and what it entailed and the sort of things you found.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I did my research for my master's project a few years ago on professional ballet dancers at the royal ballet um in london looking at um seasonal variation in vitamin d um, uh, so i think you know several years ago they identified that um they had a tendency to get vitamin d insufficiency or deficiency and then they decided to um look at this over uh, the sort of winter to spring period and see if there was a difference and then um uh, they were uh, subsequently put onto a protocol of vitamin D and and my my project was looking at how that varied the level of vitamin D that they when they had blood tests how it varied over the seasons and um I looked across sort of th- uh, three or four years Um, uh, to have a look and see were they also um, affected by a seasonal variation in vitamin D which we wouldn't expect that they would be because they live in London Um, and actually I found that um, in the first year they they were affected by by the seasonal variation that we would expect but then as time went on that seasonal variation seemed to affect them less and I, I hypothesized that that was because of the vitamin d protocol that they were on because that perhaps they were building up sufficient stores of vitamin d to to see them through the winter
0: so that was my 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 project which i really enjoyed yeah sounds fascinating and we definitely want to take some of that and um try and ask questions around it and apply it to our, to our usual demographic of patients uh, across, yeah. across the country. And this may well be uh, more of a seasonal UK thing right now than it is for Craig and, and his listeners and our Australian listeners, for example. So there's definitely going to be some geographical bias from <coughs> myself and Farrow being based in London, obviously. Um, but before we get to the sort of the levels and, and, and the testing and whether we should supplement and what this may mean for injury risk, if anything, could we, could we go back a step? Um, and sort of talk a bit about um, what vitamin D is and and why we think it's so important in the first place, i.e. what sort of body systems uh, is it suggested to benefit the most?
1: Yeah, vitamin D is really important. You know, it has a vital part in our bone metabolism. Um, It helps our body absorb and and use calcium, which gives our bones strength and hardness, and, Um, And it also has a role in muscle strength Um, it increases the number of of type two muscle fibers. So it has an anabolic effect on on muscle. Um, It's crucial for preventing rickets in in children, which is, uh, you know, uh, soft and weak bones. And the equivalent disease in the adult is called osteomalacia. um, And, you know, vitamin D deficiency can lead to those two conditions. Vitamin D can also help prevent falls in the elderly, probably because it helps with muscle strength. And it may have um, various different roles in our uh, immune system uh, as well. Um, It also, because it's so essential for normal bone metabolism, you know, it's helpful in the context of bone healing and callus formation if one has bony injury. So, you know, it really has... uh, far-reaching uh, effects on, you know, a, a different uh, aspects of our um, of our health.
0: Yeah, and, and sitting here as someone who works within musculoskeletal medicine, and I know you do, some of the some of the body systems you mentioned there, it, it feels incredibly um, incredibly key to the sort of patients that we may well be seeing. Bone injury, you know, we mentioned bone, we mentioned muscle. We think of the injuries we see. Um, yeah. So that, that, hopefully that kind of gives us the link as to why we're doing this, this episode and how we're trying to convince podiatrists we should we should at least uh, re- listen a bit more about this kind of thing. Um, where do we derive our vitamin D from? Because I recall many, many years ago, someone saying to me, uh, the only place you can get it is from the sun. And obviously, being in England, we, we might not get enough of that. Um, uh, and If you're not getting it from the sun, you need to get it from supplementation. Can we get any from our from our diet? I mean, wh- wh- where where can it be derived from?
1: Yeah. Um, so, the majority of it we do get from our sunlight exposure. Um, so uh, the the UVB rays hit our skin, and uh, you know we we um, uh, create vitamin D in our skin, and then it, we we get lots of different forms, and it, you know it goes via the liver and the kidneys and all different. uh uh, by all different pathways the majority of it we do get from our sunlight exposure and a small amount we get naturally from our diet one of the challenges of vitamin d is that our dietary sources of, of it are few so the places where we can get it naturally are oily fish um eggs some pork products lamb's liver you know of course if one's a vegetarian or a vegan those um are not not appropriate options um uh so it means that in some scenarios obviously people may require supplementation
0: great so it's not it's not totally accurate to say that we cannot derive vitamin d from from our diet it sounds like it's clearly the sun is the big win but we yeah. can we can sort of tweak our diet in our favor too by the sounds of it
1: yeah we can um, uh, it's we need both of them you you know we can't um it it wouldn't be sufficient to you know live in complete darkness forever and you know sit eating uh oily fish for example you know we do need the sun exposure but yes you're right we 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 need both of them really
2: just 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 a general question before we get down to specifics what about those people that live in environments um in certain arctic areas that don't get sunlight for like months of the year how do they survive are they i presume they're on supplements are they or
1: yeah, gosh, you know. Well, I guess they eat a lot of oily fish because they have, yeah. they have fish available yeah. to them. Um, and my goodness, you know, the answer is I really don't know. I don't know about those populations. I don't know if they're more prone to certain conditions or not. Uh, gosh, that's an interesting question. I'm so sorry that I
0: don't know. Yeah, no, I, I just it just struck me then. Yeah, well, it well, just
1: struck me too.
0: I'm, <laughs> I'm just so uh, I'm just delighted that you've you've thought of somewhere that gets you know less sunlight than we do in england that makes me feel <laughs> just a tiny bit better at myself um so before we come on to um sort of uh, some of the stuff we talked about in a bit more depth it sounds like vitamin d deficiency should al- it, we should almost expect it to be common certainly at certain times of, in the northern hemisphere in the winter as we are now um we should expect it to be common do we have any prevalence incidence data on how how common this is um is that sort of those numbers available
1: yeah so you're quite right you know in in winter uh we are reliant on our vitamin d stores and our dietary sources you know to keep adequate levels of vitamin d and the, the problem is that if you live at a latitude of higher than 37 degrees north or lower than 37 degrees south so that basically means northern europe and above and uh, sort of uh, uh, victoria new south wales in in australia the north of auckland the lower part of chile you know that that those are the sort of cutoffs where from october to march it, there are not enough uvb photons coming down from the atmosphere to help us synthesize the vitamin d in our skin which means in those winter months it is not possible to make vitamin d from our sunlight exposure Um, and so what what that means is that for people who live at those latitudes and above that we are more likely to get vitamin d deficiency and uh in terms of uh data of how frequent not frequent sorry how how common that is um you know, I have I found something in my preparation for this podcast, which said in the UK, maybe one in five people may have vitamin D deficiency. That doesn't include people who are a bit insufficient. Um And of course, I think that's the one in five is probably grossly underestimated because, of course, you know, it's a very difficult thing to make an estimate for. Certainly, anecdotally, if I might speak anecdotally, when I test vitamin D for for patients, it is unusual to, for me to find them that they are replete. It is usually in people who you know are already taking supplements already that they're in the sort of replete group. So you know, I think the scale of the issue is a big one, especially at the uh, latitudes that I mentioned.
2: Yeah, actually, Farrah, why are you were commenting then? I just quickly googled um, vitamin D latitudes under images and there's heaps of maps i won't put any up, but there's there's hundreds of maps out there with the with the vitamin d risk you know on, on a map of the world as we, we are high risk i was quite surprised how much yeah, there is. <laughs> yeah it is it's quite
1: it, it's quite interesting hmm.
0: so let's take uh, where we are in in december in london for example um and then you know we we or you know when we're not in a pandemic and we're not working from home, the usual scenario for most people would have been to wake up in the dark, uh, to commute to work in the dark, to get to the office. If they're really lucky, they might get some some daylight with a window, but some of our clinics certainly uh, don't have those. Uh, you sit in an office with with you know artificial light all day, and by the time you're you're packing up clinic and heading home again, or, um, you're traveling home in the dark again. Um, with that in mind, and with what you've just mentioned about just, just how how sort of uh, common we think this is, um, is it reasonable to function under the assumption that someone is vitamin D deficient until proven otherwise? Is that a reasonable stance? And, and, and part two to that question if you're seeing someone in your clinic, or if any of us are seeing someone in our clinic with muscular or bone injury at this time of year in the Northern Hemisphere, for example, um, should testing vitamin D be done as, as 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 a baseline test for everyone? I know there are no blank. We don't like blanket approaches here, but I'm just yeah. sort of um, playing devil's advocate there.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I don't like what blanket approaches either. They always used to teach us at medical school. I don't know if they do this at podiatry school. If the question says always or never, the answer's wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the answer is um, it depends. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It depends. So my answer is it depends. Um, No, I don't think we should blanket test everybody for vitamin D deficiency. It's not a good use of resources. It's that would be expensive. Um, Is it reasonable to assume that people may have a tendency to have lower vitamin D? Yes, I think it is reasonable. I don't think we need to subject people to blood tests to to figure that out. Um, Also, um, Public Health England, their current recommendations are that um, uh, everybody in the UK would benefit from or at least in England you know who have, what, what what they're referring to um everybody in the UK would benefit from a vitamin D supplement of um uh i think is it 10 micrograms a day they suggest and you know that that's been their advice since 2016 because they assume that vitamin d deficiency is very common and that is a small supplement you know it's it's low enough that if your vitamin d is low over time you will build up your stores um and it is you know very difficult to overdose on vitamin d it's not impossible um but you know it's a safe thing to take in general if one doesn't have comorbidities um and you know they they are cheap vitamin d supplements are cheap you can buy them you know shop's own brand for for you know not much at all as Craig. as as
0: shown by Craig <laughs> a massive a massive massive tub we, there for someone in in the N, i think i think,
2: think we've screwed up here we should have got a sponsor for this episode we could have got I a good one
0: got ourselves some supplies so to uh, to quickly just vault off of that question um, just in case i'm always worried that, that, that people um, misinterpret the messages we're giving and i'd i'd hate for yeah. someone to be watching and to be thinking Okay, so vitamin D is common, and it's the winter time, and it's dark, and it's cheap to buy, and it, it's impossible to overdose, or not impossible, but very difficult to overdose on, yeah. and we don't need to subject them to blood tests. So I'd hate, I'd hate for a podiatrist watching to go into clinic tomorrow morning, see a query tibial stress injury, and say, you know what head to Holland and Barrett uh, other health health food stores are available um but head, head to the local health food store and just pick up some vitamin d what what words have you got to I mean first of all is is that is that completely inappropriate or is that okay or reasonable to do or what words of discouragement would you have for someone who would say okay every bone injury I see for the next three months I as the podiatrist am going to recommend vitamin d why why would why should we kind of discourage that kind of uh gung-ho approach if, if indeed we should
1: Right. Yeah. So in multivitamins, which contain vitamin D, a lot of them contain vitamin D, they usually have around 10 to 15 micrograms of vitamin D. So, you know, if one is a a healthy person without any other medical problems, whether you have a, a foot injury or not, it would be safe for you to take a multivitamin that contains a small amount of vitamin D. That is, you know, a reasonable thing to do. Um, But um, vitamin D in high doses, particularly in the kind of doses that a doctor might prescribe to remedy vitamin D deficiency quickly, can sometimes unmask um, other more serious uh, things. Um, Like something called primary hyperparathyroidism, which is a a dysfunction of calcium metabolism, um, uh, which is rare, but, you know, can still happen. That that tends to happen with high doses prescribed of vitamin D rather than, you know, a small amount that's. You know, one can obtain from a multivitamin that you don't need a prescription for. um So, you know, it's a tricky one. I think. I think it would be. It's hard for me to say because I'm coming at this as a doctor, and and so, um, I don't know. I've got the luxury of easily doing blood tests on my patients. You know, and you know, chin scratching and all of that stuff that doctors <laughs> do. I like to do. Um. So, you know, it's a tricky one. I'm, I'm sorry. Maybe I'm not answer, really answering your question. I think. I think, look, in a in a healthy person who doesn't have comorbidities, um, anybody can take a multivitamin that contains vitamin D, 10 to 15 micrograms. It would be all right to do that. Um I think if you've got someone with a foot injury, say, sorry, you've got someone with a stress fracture of the foot, for example. <clears throat> well, you might want to actually uh, if they're particularly if their healing is a bit um, delayed or if they have recurrent fractures you think something else is going on you know then one might want to involve the doctor for example and 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 in a scenario like that that is often when i would test the vitamin d because if the vitamin d is very low well I'm, I might want to bring it up quite quickly if there aren't any contraindications and then I might um uh, then consider prescribing and then you know a prescription dose to bring it up quickly is a much higher dose and and you know if I do that I have to check a blood test for the patient um within 4 weeks to make sure I haven't caused any bone metabolism, uh, bony metabolism problems so so yeah I hope I've answered your question Ian yeah yeah no,
0: absolutely not just that.
2: Can I just ask? Because say someone had an undiagnosed, you know, very mild deficiency, is there enough vitamin D in a, in a typical multivitamin to, to 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 boost that? To work with a mild one, or yeah,
1: yeah. So so it depends how low it is. Over mm. time, it will go up. Yes, it will, yeah. but it might take some time. Okay, All right. mm. yeah, cool.
2: And if, if they have a current problem, we don't really we want to be fixed
0: now we don't necessarily want to wait months for it to come back up yeah Yeah,
1: that's that's my personal uh practice
0: yes right so let's talk a bit about the foot uh forgive our forgive our uh, unashamed bias of course um we're we 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 can't we can't escape the the influence of vitamin d on bone health i think that's the first thing that comes to most people's minds and at foot, foot level particularly through the winter um we potentially see a certain sort of group of in, or cluster of injuries. Now you could argue particularly at this time of year we've normally got people uh training for the spring marathon. So that could be a a, a sort of confounder here but but generally speaking if we see bone stress or we we have a raised suspicion of bone stress, bone injury, stress fractures, anything on that continuum. Um in the winter, it wouldn't be unreasonable to think bone injury in the winter, particularly in the absence of any increase in load, maybe we're dealing with so, sort of a vitamin D uh, deficit sort of uh, consequence here. What I want to say is that the, the anecdotes there are all well and good and they make sense, they make biological sense. But when we look at the evidence, the, the, the foot and ankle evidence specifically, um, I know you're more than aware than most that, that it's, it's not perhaps as, as, as wide and vast uh, as, a, as an evidence base as it could be. And I know we all recently just had a chat about the the, the review um pertaining to vitamin d in the foot and ankle um craig probably put a link in the comments it's the malhotra and colleagues um it was just four or five months ago in, in jatma why is there such a discrepancy between the kind of biological plausibility of of bone health being a problem and we know that the foot is particularly susceptible to stress bone stress injuries yeah. uh, why, why is the evidence kind of really really supporting uh you know d deficiency and, and its risk for foot injuries in, in, in a really strong robust way
1: yeah okay there's quite a few things that i want to say great go for it and the first um is that you you mentioned about winter and running injuries and stress fractures and vitamin d it's important to just make i want to make the point that vitamin d deficiency and indeed calcium deficiency as well because really we mustn't talk about vitamin d without mentioning calcium which is its you know bedfellow um uh that vitamin d and calcium deficiency like do not make osteoporosis do you know what i mean osteoporosis is not a calcium and vitamin d deficiency uh issue not a primary deficiency issue but having sufficient dietary calcium and replete vitamin D is is important because for osteoporosis and uh, uh, because it will, uh, you know, help to normalise bone metabolism. And also having replete vitamin D is important in the context of people who are on special medicines for osteoporosis. And that's the first thing I wanted to say about that. You know, it's not simply that having low vitamin D makes us more likely to get stress fractures. It's like one small piece of the puzzle you know um there's there's the load factor of course which is the, a big one um and a, and uh relative energy deficiency of course might maybe another relevant uh uh factor with that too um and so so you know there are other factors involved and then you mentioned you've asked me about you know why is there a bit of a poverty of data i think that's what that's what you're asking me
0: isn't it it, it is uh, yes
1: yeah um there is a positive data i i i have a um you know this idea why which is that there are so many factors that are involved in um in uh, vitamin d uh and its synthesis so my goodness you know list them I, i think i haven't even got enough fingers to list them all you know one is sunlight and our sunlight exposure where we live on the planet um our skin color because having darker skin like mine is a natural sunscreen so you know it means that I might need longer in the sun to synthesize the same vitamin D as say someone like Craig Uh, what else are there um there is your you know your your pre-existing stores so vitamin D is is not like vitamin C if you have too much vitamin C you're weird out Vitamin D is a fat soluble vitamin. So if you take supplements, we store it in our body fat. So that's another thing, not just how much stores we have to begin with at the start of the year, say, but what's our fat mass like? If we've got too little body fat, um, then we may not have the sufficient stores of vitamin D, for example, theoretically. There's also some evidence that in people with obesity that they can also be subject to low vitamin D. Now, you know, we don't really know why that is. I think there's a theory that the vitamin D may become sequestered in the fat. And then I think maybe it becomes difficult to get out into the to the to the blood. Um, I think that's one theory. Um, So, you know, sunlight, diet, pre-existing stores, fat mass. It seems like there are some genes that are involved as well in in uh, vitamin D synthesis and degradation. Uh, I think three genes have been named and possibly a fourth as well. So it means that even within populations, we may have differences in the way that we, um, uh, you know, create and process our vitamin D. Are um, uh, whether our sport is inside or outside or or. Uh, Do we train indoors or outdoors? What's what job do we do? You know, do we um, uh, dress very modestly and cover up? Um, uh, All of these things um, have uh, are are contributing factors. And and, uh, the other thing as well is, of course, there are people, if they have um, certain conditions that cause them to be in a malabsorptive state, um say you know perhaps people with inflammatory bowel disease for example um then or, or celiac disease then they may also be potentially subject to to vitamin D deficiency and uh, the other thing to mention as well is that um well it's a bit it's a bit rarer and maybe is not relevant to your question but you know people with kidney disease liver disease can also have problems with vitamin D2 so to answer your question Ian there are so many factors that are involved with vitamin D levels, all these things affect vitamin D levels. So it means the problem we have is that when we're trying to do studies, how do you control for all of these things? You know, there are you can't control for all of these variables in the studies. Um, uh, There are so many wide ranging factors. And actually when I read the Malhotra paper that you kindly shared with me, um, that I think you've put the link uh, uh, somewhere for the viewers to see, I really sympathized with them when I read their paper, because it reminded me of when I was doing my own literature review, (laughs) which is on a similar topic because I was also looking at athletic populations and dancers specifically. There is a poverty of information about vitamin D in these specific groups, especially in dancers, unfortunately, or, or there was at the time that I did my my project. So, you know, with that in mind, it's difficult to control for all these variables, that's the real life aspect of vitamin D metabolism. And actually, maybe that's all right. Maybe it's an asset. You know, people are not uh, uh in control, you know, case control studies. You know, people don't live like that in the real world. So actually, maybe it doesn't matter too much that, you know, the studies included in in the review, some of them, you know, are not the um highest level of evidence and that kind of thing. Um, you know, it, it's difficult because we can't make conclusions from, you know, lo, uh, low-powered studies that have, you know, high heterogeneity between the studies and a diversity of participants. But uh, like, that's the world we're living in. So, you know, <laughs> I. I hope that makes sense. I think that's why it's so difficult. That's why the evidence is so mixed, because how do you control for all these variables? It's one of these scenarios, you know, it's not like not like you've got this cancer drug or nothing, you know, and you compare the two and, you know, it's it's just not like that.
0: Yeah. What What I love about your description of some of the factors there is, you it's essentially you know a lot of previous guests have said this and particularly our red our, our red s uh, episode as well was very similar it it was almost like listening to sort of some of the things you look for and observe yourself and some of the things you ask in your own history taking um listening to the way you were kind of systematically going through things that contribute i, I almost felt like i got a glimpse into your mind when someone's sitting in front of you in clinic of the the things you're excluding, the things you're thinking, the thing, you know, you're observing. What's their what's their skin tone like? What's their body mass like? They're things that we, you probably do completely matter of factly. So, I think that's still kind of valuable to know. Um, even though we'd love the the science that really served up, you know, Vit, vit D uh, gives you this problem at the foot. You know, it's still nice, I think, to get give people an idea of when things come in. Um, start thinking, you know, of of some of these factors. So, yeah, I think that's really really useful. Craig, you look like you wanted to say something. Did someone comment on Facebook about something?
2: No, there, look, there was a question here. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know whether you can read that. Uh, about the hormone, blood calcium level, closed system, will suppress absorption of vitamin D if they're out of balance, giving supplements. Could that cause serious That's issues issue. here? I'm,
1: yes. Yeah. So, um uh, this person has, you know, drawn on this issue, which is very important. You know, vitamin D supplements are absolutely not for everybody. There are some people in whom, you know, they should not be used, um, uh, 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 at least not without, you know, the input of, you know, an endocrinologist, for example. So people, you know, who've got hyperparathyroidism or people who have you know hypercalcemia so high level a high level of calcium in the blood people who've got hypercalcemia associated with malignancy you know that those are people who should not have vitamin d supplements and um you know people with with those sorts of conditions um you know they would not um Necessarily go unnoticed. You know there are some non-specific symptoms that would go with those those sorts of conditions. So you know hopefully they would have sought medical help rather than being the first presenter to the podiatry clinic. If you know what I mean.
0: Yeah. Let's quickly talk about a pragmatic sort of daily life thing. Let's say that as a as the podiatrist, we rightly or wrongly um, are going to. Refer someone on to to one of our sports physician colleagues, like yourself, um, with with a view of getting your 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 opinion, your 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 diagnostic workup, and as part of that handover, as we often do in our clinics, where you just kind of casually meet in the corridor. We say, "There's a few things here that just made me wonder whether whether there may be some sort of deficit in vitamin D." Um, what what does that process? look like in the real world as in if we are referring someone not that we would ever say you're going to you're going we're referring you for a vitamin d test we'd say we're referring you to our our uh, our our colleague our consultant colleague uh, so they can work things up a bit more but if we were going to sort of set the scene for a patient coming to see you for the kind of vitamin d screening slash testing slash supplementation could you just kind of describe to us what that looks like it's one is it one blood test is it a series of tests is there you know is there much of a weight are they are they sort of in and out on the same day with a with a with a pot of pills? What does that look like in the real world?
1: yeah, so um obviously, whether or not I do a vitamin D test on a patient is uh case by by case uh, uh scenario um invariably, if I'm going to the trouble of testing for testing vitamin D. Actually, often I end up testing other things as well, because it's never just vitamin D I'm thinking about. You know, if people have bony injuries or they've got recurrent bony injuries or, you know, I think maybe there's something else going on here. that's not quite right. Some, you know, some metabolic bone problem or or uh, or if I think something else is going along that might be uh, uh, of a hormonal nature. Then I may test bone profile as well, which, you know, uh, tests. Calcium and some other parameters in the blood as well. I might test their thyroid because that also can have a role in um, uh, in bone health. Um, uh, so you know there are other things that I might test. It, for in a, in a practical sense, when I'm in my clinic, you know, obviously I would take a full history and I would examine the patient and you know come to my own conclusions. And then if I decide my patient needs blood tests, I usually can do a form for them, which is usually online in my NHS trust. You know, it's done on, on the computer. And I, I say to them to self-present to the phlebotomist, you know, where they queue up, have it done. And then the results, you know, for a test like those sorts of tests, they will come back within 24 hours. Those results, they come back very quickly, really. Within a few hours, really, they come back. Um, and I just put the results at the bottom of their letter and I and I let them know. I like to let them know quickly, because if I've gone to the trouble of checking it, particularly something like vitamin D, If I want them to be supplemented, if they need supplements, for example, I want to tell them quickly, especially if it might make, you know, even a small bit of difference uh, to their, you know, the healing of their bony injury, for example.
0: Great. Um, So, again, it's probably a difficult question to answer, but I just want to give our our podiatry listening audience um, some sort of applicable take homes as many as we can, if, if indeed we can. The kind of things that that we would raise our suspicion in clinic that we would see um, that that may be reasonable things to escalate to our sports medicine colleagues like yourself. Um, Again, not just because it's the winter and not just because someone lives in the northern hemisphere in in December, but things like um, suspicion of bone injury that feels like it's on a timeline that is unreasonable. Things like very, very low body mass. Are there any kind of um, is there like a top three where you could say, right, these things you know, in the context of the presenting case might be reasonable flags for some kind of bone profiling, vitamin D screening, etc. Is it that simple? Mm,
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, if you have.
0: uh, When
1: do I think about testing vitamin D? That's that's another way I guess I could answer the question. I think about it in patients who have um, bony stress injuries, um, uh, particularly if they've got recurrent bony stress injuries if i think they may have relative energy deficiency or reds and that they have a bony injury um because vitamin d is going to be play, it's going to uh play a part in helping to optimize their bone health and and helping to normalize bone metabolism if they have a bony injury that's so you know it's small print but it's important another time i think about vitamin d um and it's a bit small print stuff but because it has, um, potentially positive effects on, um, muscle strength, um, uh, and also contractility of muscles, if a patient has a refractory tendinopathy, you know, not only, of course, does, does one have to think about, you know, things like peripheral manifestations of axial spondylarthropathy, you know, rheumatological causes for tendinopathies. I also check the vitamin D because um because if the vitamin D is deficient and they've got a refractory tendinopathy, you know, and they're kind of not really getting better. They're following their rehab. I think, well, it's really um, easy to check the vitamin D and it's easy and cheap to replace it. And, you know, it might make just that tiny bit of difference. So that's also another group of people in whom I, I consider checking vitamin D. I certainly don't do it for every tendinopathy, you know, but it's it's small print stuff, I think, for the refractory tendinopathy. And of course, you know, we mustn't forget rheumatological causes for those refractory tendinopathies.
0: Perfect. And, and supplementation. Um, what does it look like? I mean, obviously, the dose will be specific, like any, like any, um like any drug. The dose is specific to the, to you know what you're treating. But you know, even with things like paracetamol, we know, we know generally we're giving one gram four times a day, up to one gram four times a day. There's, there's a range we're working within. What's the range that we're working within within vitamin D? Just so that if people come in and they say to us, "Oh, I'm taking that," we can kind of say, "How much are you taking?" We get an idea of where they are kind of in the, um, in the range.
1: Yeah. So. Um, the kinds of supplements that you can buy over the counter without a prescription range from about, you know, 10 micrograms to, I think, about 25 microgram tablets. So um, a typical multivitamin would have 10 to 15 micrograms. And then you could buy a what what over the counter would call a high dose supplement is about 25 micrograms. Um, but you you know, one would really have to take quite a lot. I mean, you know, to far exceed those sorts of doses um, uh, to get toxicity. You know, it, it you you um, uh, those lower doses are generally you know reasonable and safe uh, to take. You know, sup these supplements if they are used as as it says on the on the tin. Uh, and they're used in sensible doses you know they're very unlikely to cause harm um the other thing is of course you know vitamin d is a fat soluble vitamin so you know we we make if we take a bit too much it gets stored if you like um uh but you know there is a threshold um and the threshold is quite high um too much vitamin d i mean really um uh you would have to give someone quite a lot of vitamin d to, to to do that or they'd have to be taking maybe more than than it says on the box
0: yeah uh, and, sure and toxic sorry craig quick last question while it's in my mind toxic vitamin d toxicity how yeah. might that how would that manifest
1: um... yeah so the problem is the problem unfortunately is if you if one does end up with too much vitamin d is that you can get hypercalcemia and the problem with hypercalcemia is that uh, sometimes the symptoms well they are, they can be horrible uh but they can also be quite non specific so you know people can get things like um vomiting and um they might uh, uh get depression or confusion um you know hormonal pain um uh kidney stones so you know there uh, uh, it's one of these things you know people don't walk through the door and say I've got hypercalcemia but you know they can become very unwell and those people would usually uh, 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 be compelled to to see a, a um to seek medical help because they really wouldn't feel very well.
2: Great. I just I just checked this this one that a friend takes. It's at 25 micrograms per per, per tablet over the yeah. over the counter. Yeah, the,
0: so it's the high end here. Yeah, that's it. It's a a, a friend has to take that. <laughs> Get a few of those in Craig. Um, let's, let's, uh, we far from, we're, we're far from us to sort of try and ride some kind of controversial wave, but, um, let's talk about coronavirus if, if we can, um, just because it's dominated, just because it's dominated our lives for all of 2020, um, Craig keeps abreast of, of one of Craig's hobbies. You know, most of us like to spend time with our family or go for a run. Craig likes to seek out pseudoscience on the Internet and pick fights. <laughs> Craig, t- t- talk to us, Craig, about what you found um, with your searches uh, recently about vitamin D and, and how it's the the messiah for, for COVID-19.
2: No, well, I, I, in, in fairness, like if you from what my superficial review of the literature and evidence is that there is some very good evidence of a very strong correlation between vitamin D deficiency, um, the extent of COVID-19 symptoms, the outcomes of COVID-19, but that's it. It's a, it's a correlation. You go to some of the alternative health websites, they are now suggesting that vitamin D is a potential cure for (laughs) COVID-19. And that, that pattern repeats itself so many times over the years, and so many different pathologies, um, and, I, and I get quite frustrated now. The, the, to me, if someone has COVID nineteen and the vitamin D deficiency, it makes common sense to supplement them. But it may, there's no evidence that that's related to a better outcome. Or now, now it may well be, but I, I think it's the it, it's interesting just following this pattern of correlations to this is the cure is what really was really what my beef is
1: <laughs> yeah i um, i think it's my beef too you know i really sympathize craig because mm. it's so hot actually i sympathize with um well uh everybody really i tell you why <laughs> because we're in this age where we are you know subjected to so much information and mm. a lot of people because of their um uh, you know, just because of their background or what they do, you know, people maybe don't know how to critically appraise that information. It's really difficult, you know. Um, I mean, you know, even when uh, I look at, if I read, read a research paper, I've got to read it a few times, to look at the methodology and, you know, you have to critique it. You know, these things you know take a bit of time and a bit of effort so you know people poor people really because everyone's bombarded with so much information it's hard to make uh, a head of the pain of it of course you know you're quite right I think um when vitamin d is so prevalent uh, in in certain communities because of where we live and because of all the other factors that I mentioned well I mean no wonder that, uh, many people with coronavirus or people that have suffered with um, uh, with a more severe illness have a tendency to have, you know, lower vitamin D. I don't think that that's, you know, that surprising. Mm-hmm. Or, um, and certainly, as far as I'm aware, there is no good evidence to say that supplementing yourself with vitamin D will, you know, uh, one have less of a severe uh, uh, illness with coronavirus. The advice from Public Health England has been... Um, you know, unchanged on vitamin D since 2016. So since 2016, they've said that everybody would, uh, where we live, would benefit from taking a multi-vitamin D supplement, 10 micrograms a day, because we are probably going to be vitamin D deficient, and it's very difficult to tell who is going to get enough sunlight exposure. And and their advice now in the coronavirus pandemic has been the same presumably because now, of course, we've had to stay in a lot more. You know, life has become quite different um, and uh, vitamin D deficiency causes problems for people, causes bone problems and causes, you know, weak muscles. Um So, yeah, it's important for us to m- make sure that we're replete in vitamin D. Uh, and it's in- that's important during this pandemic. But maybe not for the reasons that some of those uh, people you're 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 mentioning uh, are saying. You know, it's not for those reasons. It's for other reasons.
2: Yeah. Actually, perhaps closer to home and getting back towards the foot or lower limb, I am aware. I, I just quickly I look for them of three studies that have shown a correlation between vitamin D deficiency and growing pains in kids. Now, the if you look at the geographic location of the authors, they are in areas where dietary deficiency is probably quite high. But yeah. nevertheless, there's three studies that have showed a vitamin D deficiency. And there's one study, um, which on the surface looks reasonably good, of using vitamin D supplementation in kids with growing pains. And the recommendation was perhaps we should be supplementing kids who've got growing pains with vitamin D. But if you look at in the details of the study, um, all those that were included were actually deficient in vitamin D. <laughs> so yeah. the... And if you look at some, especially some kids' health websites, you do see vitamin D recommended as a treatment for growing pains. Yet yeah. the, evi- the evidence is three correlational studies in areas where there's high dietary deficiency and one study in which the kids were vitamin deficient anyway. <laughs> um, so that's, that's what I'm talking about in this COVID thing, that this, these big leaps are being taken. Um, and a, again, I, 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 I don't actually have an answer. I mean, it's hard, you know, people will respond saying, well, what's the harm?
1: um, yeah i mean i think what what the harm there's always a harm isn't there in in misinformation um uh but you're right you know uh the other the there's a harm in misinformation but vitamin d supplements are cheap uh if they're used judiciously then they will are unlikely to cause problems um you know, I think it's got to be sort of post-dependent, really. Sure.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I, I would hate for anyone to go out and start prescribing vitamin D supplements for growing pains of kids based on what I just said. You know, like there's more, more to it yeah. than that. But of course. The, the other end, the other, we have focused a lot on um, um, bone injury, but there's probably, and I just at a quick count, I think i have able to very quickly locate 18 studies, uh, correlation between vitamin Ds and diabetic foot ulcers. And again, uh, again, all correlational studies. Now, whether the, the demand for vitamin D goes up when someone has a, a foot ulcer you know, due to the inflammatory protein, I, I, you know, I don't know enough to comment on that. But there is obviously similar issues going on there within, you know, with our with diabetic foot colleagues. That there is, you know, a lot of work showing correlations. There are a couple of supplementation studies in diabetic foot ulcers. But again, they were in journals with zero impact factors. So you sort of don't know how much weight to give these interventional studies, but on the surface, I mean, you know, rev- haven't reviewed them in detail. They, they look okay. So I think there's a lot more to it than just bone stress injuries. You know, maybe a correlation with growing pains in kids. There's um, diabetic foot ulcers, the correlation there. You know, yeah, so it's... Um, what I, sorry,
1: Craig.
2: Yeah, no, you're all right. Yeah, I finished, yeah. No,
1: sorry, I was just going to say, I think, you know, the growing pains in kids, I mean, obviously, one always has to be very um careful when children have pain and symptoms you know one has to be you know always have a low threshold for suspicion uh for uh pathology um for serious pathology as well and um you know vitamin d and and aches and pains uh, they go together quite well vitamin d and diabetic false foot ulcer you know it's kind of harder to to make that connection really um you know we know that vitamin d may have a role in our immune system but you know i would say in the diabetic foot infection uh group you know there are other factors obviously that that are much more significant you know that also you know can you can are they controlled for in those studies with vitamin d you know that the glycemic control of the patients you know any pre-existing neuropathy you know um how mobile they are you know, those are confounding factors, um, which I would argue are probably more uh, more significant than you know vitamin D. Yeah.
2: Um, just actually on the site, if, if someone does have an infection, yeah. like I don't know enough to to, would could that increase the demand for vitamin D and lead to the deficiency? Uh, no. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. <clears throat> That was a nice no, firm no. quick answer there. <laughs> nice answer. We like <laughs> yeah. we the best answer so far. Um, yeah. Craig, yeah. Craig uh, conscious that we're we're getting close to the hour. Is there anything pressing on Facebook? I saw one comment from a good friend of mine when I was mentioning about bad uh bad levels of sunlight in London, a very, very close friend of mine recently moved to Abu Dhabi and he sends me WhatsApp pictures. Oh, here he is, Fitzy. He sends me WhatsApp pictures almost daily of his feet by the pool. I'm getting pretty sick of. It. I'm getting really sick of him, to be honest. And sure enough, here he is mentioning Abu Dhabi once again. So yeah, fits it. thank you, thank you for that, mate. Um, but no, other than other than him with his humble brag, was there any anyone else that um, no, had anything no. to say?
2: No, lots just, just just a few complimentary comments about how good it is.
0: <laughs> no, and- Great. So we're all off to take our ten. 10 micrograms of vitamin D to be more vigilant about these things uh, to try and get out in the sun when, when we get sun. Um, and like I say, this is a winter thing here, but I guess it doesn't matter where you are in the world. At some point, it's going to be winter. So you need to be vigilant about this stuff, right? Except every device. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that, that the relevant latitudes, yeah, absolutely. You know, our lucky friends maybe in the Middle East don't, don't have the wintry problem that we have. Ex-friends,
0: ex-friends. <laughs> <Our> express, <yeah. laughs> and then we'll, we'll
1: there's two other things that I think are really important. You mentioned yeah. about vitamin D supplement. Please don't forget calcium, because there's no point having the adequate vitamin D without sufficient dietary calcium. It's very important. Um and the other thing I wanted to say, which I didn't mention before, is we must protect our skin from the sun. You know, this message about the sunlight from me is not um does not uh, uh, equate to please go out and bask in the sun you know obviously the, the sun is really very harmful for us um irradiating our skin and, and giving us high risk of, of skin cancers and, and aging as well which you know we don't want so um we, we only need a little bit of sun exposure 10 to 15 minutes um on our face uh hands and and legs you know i think it's two to three times a week or something that will help us to make the vitamin d so you know it's not a lot you don't need a lot and of course only in the in the spring to autumn time at the latitudes like where we
0: live in london perfect so be safe in the sun please (laughs) daily daily vitamin d low-dose vitamin d with a supplemented calcium and move to abu dhabi is what yeah.
1: we're here, what I'm hearing here. Yeah. Get your calcium from your diet rather than from. from supplements. Supplements can cause problems, calcium supplements. Avoid those if you can. Have nice dietary sources of calcium, much safer
0: and much Fair. better for you. Brilliant. Great. Sure. Uh, Farrah, no, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. It's been brilliant. And such an yeah, honor. Mate. Thank you so much. I really right. enjoyed it. Great. Thanks, Farah. Thanks, Ian.